fans, welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There's no off-season. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this in the mobile Sully Baseball studio, also known as my car, for a wonderful Sunday episode of the Sully Baseball Podcast. Now, look at uh, I'm still on the road. If you've listened to the podcast for the last few days, you will have noticed that I am doing a, a road trip from the luxurious Sully Baseball Studios in Pasadena, California, up to the mothership in Palo Alto. Uh, now, mind you, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit and let you know that I actually have recorded all of these on the same trip. It's a funny thing that happens when you're alone in your car for five some odd hours that sometimes you do things like talk to yourself. And sometimes when you talk to yourself, it's good to talk into a recorder. So, for all I know, all hell is broken loose this weekend and and Mike Trout got released and Derek Jeter came out of retirement and the Red Sox agreed to move to Nashville. I don't know. Some crazy crap may have happened, and if I'm not mentioning that on this particular podcast, you're all going to just have to, to quote Voltaire, fucking deal with it. So, I'm, I don't know where I am right now. As I mentioned the other day, the land of California between Los Angeles and Silicon Valley, most of it is flat, dry-looking farmland. So, I could be at Bakersfield. Or I could be... Did I mention Bakersfield? I don't know where the heck I am. Oh, hold on. Let's see. Let's see what's going on here. Here's a sign coming up. So in case you have a little map and you put a little pin, I'm passing the junction where the 5 meets the 43, Shafter and Wasco. That sounds like <laughs> I was Elmer Fudd. So, anyway, it's Sunday. And I have, I used to do this when it was the daily podcast. And who knows, if things pick up and some things change in your pal Sully's life, we may have the daily podcast again. Just not right now. Hold on to your horse. But I used to do every Sunday was the Sunday request. And I got so many old Sunday requests from my pal Marcel, a.k.a. Cubs fan with an eight, that he had his own category. But for old time's sake, hey... It's nostalgia. I always say that baseball exists in the past, present, and future all together. That here is my old buddy, Cubs fan with an eight, for old time's sake, sent me a Sunday request. And as always, this guy, this great Cubs fan who flew all the way from Switzerland to go to the final few games of the World Series in 2016 and who watched a game. I met him. We went, we did a podcast. We, we uh, saw a game at AT&T Park when he was going his uh, tour of all the uh, different uh, baseball stadiums. So Cubs fan with an eight wrote me a terrific Sunday request and I, I was going to wait to do it on Sunday, but hell, what am I going to do? I'm driving. I'm going to do it right now. Here it is. Cubs fan with an eight says, Sully Baseball, if Epstein, mean Theo, wanted yet another impossible challenge after the Red Sox and the Cubs, what 
do you think it would or should be? The Rockies, the Padres, the Mariners, the Nationals, Sunday request. This is a great question. And it's a great question because it, it, it works on a lot of different levels. Now, Theo Epstein is the, uh, what's his official title? Is he the president, vice president, the general, whatever the hell he is, he runs the Cubs. And he was the general manager, of course, for the Red Sox when they won the World Series and broke the curse in 2004. Now, the little bit of criticism you could have on him is he actually inherited a very good team. And in fact, I think that Dan Duquette deserves a lot of credit for the foundation of the team that won in 2004. Epstein took over a team that was already a 90-some-odd win team. But he did indeed make the right moves and the pulled the trigger on a couple of, you know, some of them gutsy moves that put the team over the top to win the World Series in 2004. And then made the decisions in 2007 with a a lot more of homegrown players to win in 2007 and also had the gutsy call to let some players walk like Pedro like Johnny Damon and to put together the team that went on to win the World Series in 2007 and then he left the Red Sox after there was a lot of strife and turmoil after 2000 the big collapse in in, uh, 2011 and he moved over to the Cubs and took over a moribund franchise, a team that was a bit of a mess and that as recently as 2014 was really a non-contender. Remember, they traded away, they were sellers in 2014 when they traded away Jeff Samarsta and they made a bunch of moves and then by 2015 with the arrival of Joe Madden the Cubs have been not only a staple in the postseason, where they made the league championship series three straight years and are very, very good chance to make it four straight years this year, but obviously they won the World Series in 2016, and they are on the verge of winning their third straight division title to go along with the wild card berth that they had in 2015. And he was the general manager who saw the end of the curse of the Bambino and the curse of the Billy Goat. Uh, I think he could take a much deeper bow for what he did in Chicago because he, as I said, he basically built that team from the ground up as opposed to inheriting a team and pushing them over the top, what he did with the Red Sox. But that being said, all due credit, he was the GM when they won the World Series in Boston and in with the Cubs. And you just had to go all the way back to, I don't know, 2003 the year where the Red Sox and the Cubs both collapsed in the league championship series. And it became clear that these are two franchises that will never win at all. The fact that they both won it all and both under his watch, well, I mean, he's obviously going to go to the Hall of Fame, but he is cementing himself alongside Branch Rickey as one of the great figures in front office history in the history of baseball. So what Cubs fan with an eight is really, really astute of bringing up is Epstein is still, well, he's not as, obviously not as young as he was when he took over the Red Sox. I think he was 14 years old when he took over the Red Sox. But he's still young enough that you could say, all right, he could be in charge of the Cubs forever. 
Like all of a sudden, oh yeah, for the next 20, 30 years, he's going to be in charge of the Cubs. All right. That's a distinct possibility. And along the way, he can win several other championships and that, da 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 But he also could be the person who looks for the challenge to be sort of a Johnny Appleseed of breaking curses. Now, Epstein is... Obviously, I don't know what his contract situation is. He may be one of those people, in a way like Ricky who will go from franchise to franchise and do a good job. Now, Branch Rickey transformed the St. Louis Cardinals in the 20s from a team that was, uh, you know, had trouble contending and maybe not able to outbid some of the big, um, you know, money-making franchises for star players. Sound familiar? He created the, basically invented the farm system, the minor league system, to develop stars on his own. And it made one of the gutsiest moves in the history of Major League Baseball of trading Rogers Hornsby the offseason after he delivered a World Series title to the St. Louis Cardinals. The ultimate example of selling high. And that people thought that he was insane, he was a terrible general manager and everything like that, but he got back a future Hall of Famer and Frankie Frisch in the trade, and two years later the Cardinals were in the World Series, and a few years after that they had assembled, with Frankie Frisch as the leader, one of the greatest teams in the history of baseball, the Gas House Gang. And then later, after he clashed with the Cardinals, he moved over to the Dodgers, where of course he changed American history by integrating the game, signing Jackie Robinson, but he did more than that. He also took a Dodger team that was up and down and up and down with uh, uh, Larry McPhail as the general manager and turned them into one of the great powerhouses in baseball. When he clashed with the front office, he turned his attention to the Pittsburgh Pirates and rebuilt one of the worst franchises in baseball so by the time he left, he, was, he had left the team by 1960, but the foundation that he created during the 50s led to the team that won the World Series title in 1960, led by Roberto Clemente, a player that Branch Rickey had originally brought to the Dodgers, and that when he moved to the Pirates, brought him over to the Pirates. Think of that. From Frankie Frisch and the Gas House Gang and Dizzy Dean, to Jackie Robinson and Roy Campanella and Don Newcomb and Pee Wee Reese and Duke Snyder of the Dodgers to Roberto Clemente and the Pittsburgh Pirates were all basically the same front office man did all of those over different regions. That could very well be the legacy of Theo Epstein if he takes over another franchise. He did it with the Cubs. He did it with the Red Sox. What other team should he do? Now, my dear friend, Cubs fan with an eight, Marcel, gave me some interesting suggestions. I have one which I believe he didn't mention is the team he should do. But let's take a look. The, the teams that he pulled out, the Rockies, the Padres, the Mariners, the Nationals, are all teams that have a suffering 
index that's very high. Remember, your pal Sully created the suffering index. And that winning a championship in Colorado, in San Diego, in Seattle, with the Washington Nationals, would be the apex of each one of those franchises' history. None of those teams have won a World Series title. Not one. The Nationals and the Mariners have never played in the World Series. The city of Seattle remains the only city that currently has a major league team that has no World Series appearances. The Nationals have never won a pennant, but the Washington Senators won the pennant in 1924, 1925, and 1933, winning it in 1924. The 1924 Washington Nationals, uh, Washington Senators, sorry, are the only major league team from Washington, D.C. to win a World Series title. The uh, the Homestead Grays were based in Washington, D.C. during the 40s, and they won a Negro Leagues championship. I want to throw them into the mix because they were left out. So all of those teams, a championship for them would be the apex. The Rockies, now the Rockies this year have, I think, as good as any chance, of course, I don't know, I'm recording this as I'm driving up on Friday, I'm dumping it on Sunday, so who knows what happened in the last two days. Right now, I believe the Rockies have as good a chance of anybody to win the National League pennant. There's a chance the Rockies could be the World Series, you know, could play in their second World Series, and who knows? You don't know what's going to happen in a best-of-seven series. They could catch a team napping. So if we walk away this year, I'm bringing this up because of all these four teams, the Rockies could get themselves off the schneid, as it were, this year. If the Rockies win the World Series this year, then there's no reason to be a miracle performer with Colorado. Also, yes, I know that the Rockies have had a team for a quarter of a century now, and Denver is a very, very good sports town, and they love their team. It's still primarily a Broncos town. It still strikes me as the, the team that is the engine behind the passionate sports fandom of Denver are the Broncos. And I have, I have relatives who grew up in Colorado. I still have relatives in Colorado. And they're all Broncos fans. Even my relatives who have moved away from Colorado to live in Albuquerque, to live in Youngstown, to live in San Jose, that they still have the Denver Broncos. That's part of their DNA. Much like growing up in New England, you can't remove my Red Sox fan. And no matter how many times they bring Stephen Wright there, I'm still a Red Sox fan. I'm just not following them. It's part of the DNA. It's part of the what's in the subatomic structure. So I don't know if that is necessarily... Look at if he took over and the Rockies won under Theo Epstein, great, terrific. Uh, but that's not the one I'd go with because I think they're in pretty good shape right now. Remember, they were a playoff team last year. They were in the they were a wild card team last year, and it looks like they're going to be in the playoffs again this year. You know, barring a big collapse over the last you know three and a half weeks of the season. Now the Padres are very interesting for for several reasons. The San Diego Padres have never won the World Series, unless you count the Gary Coleman made-for-TV movie, The Kid from Left Field. Theo Epstein was part of the San Diego Padres organization when Lucino was there. 
and Lucchino was the one who brought him over to the Red Sox. So you could easily have seen him be someone who was a Padres front office man leading them to the championship. Now, San Diego, I've talked about this before. San Diego has a very, very underrated sports uh, tortured fandom for the Padres. It's it's a clearly an under... People don't think of them as a tortured fan base because I do believe that people equate a tortured fan base with bad weather and being miserable. You know, a Red Sox fan in the middle of the winter shoveling their driveway, a Cleveland fan suffering through another bitter Ohio winter, sitting in Buffalo with your arms folded under 14 feet of snow. This is all part, it's that image of a suffering fan suffering with lousy weather. The idea of going to the beach in San Diego, one of the most beautiful cities in all the country, and in with beautiful weather, it's like, how sad can you be here in freaking San Diego? And I think that adds to the misery in San Diego because they can't even participate in getting sympathy for their sadness. Now, the Chargers have never won a Super Bowl, and now they've taken the Chargers away. There's a tremendous amount of inferiority complex in San Diego referring to Los Angeles, just a couple of miles to the north of them. And they, they Los Angeles took the Clippers. They were the San Diego Clippers, now they're the Los Angeles Clippers. The main team in San Diego were the Chargers. And they've taken the Chargers away from them. And now they're the LA Chargers playing in a tiny soccer stand that no one cares about. So the only game left in town of any of the major four sports, I'm sure there's another sport I'm not mentioning and don't throw anything at me, are the Padres. And the Padres who have had the unbelievably bad luck of being in two World Series, one in 1984, one in 1998. Both times they pulled off massive upsets in the League Championship Series where they, in 84, where they beat a Cubs team that everyone in the world thought was going to go to the World Series everyone seemed to be rooting for, and we're up 2-0 in the best of five series, and the Cubs had one of their great collapses, startling collapses in baseball history, and then in 98, where they had to beat 100-win team in the Houston Astros in the first round, another 100-win team with the Atlanta Braves in the League Championship Series, and the reward for that was to face the 114-win New York Yankees, who swept them, but in three of the four games... The Padres actually played them close. A bounce here or a bounce there. And they could have had at least have it be force a game five. And maybe even had the series tied after four. But instead the Yankees got every break, every call, everything went their way. And they wound up sweeping the World Series. And that's their only two times. And, and, and when they beat the... I'm sorry, the, I forgot to say. When they beat the, the Cubs in 84... They faced the Detroit Tigers, who were the best American League team of the 80s. So they had to go in the World Series facing the best American League team of the 80s in 84 against the Detroit Tigers and the best American League team of the 90s, which were the Yankees of 1998. And they won in those two World Series. They combined for one win, which was Game 2 against the Tigers. They're 1-8 in World Series play 
in terms of games. So winning a World Series in San Diego would relieve any of the pain and suffering of what it's like to be a San Diego fan and would take them off of any conversation of being long-suffering. You could just sit back in San Diego on the beach, go, go, go around the gas lamp district or take a bike around the wharf and say, God, I live in San Diego and my team just won the World Series. Can life get better? The answer is no! The answer is no. If you're in San Diego and your team wins the World Series, you look up in the sky and say, thank you, anyone listening up there, even if it's just the goddamn clouds. Sorry, Ray. And say, thank you for making me a Padre fan. Now, would that be as sexy as the Cubs or the Red Sox? No, but you know what? Theo might say, I don't want to live my winters in Boston or Chicago. I wouldn't mind living in one of those big condos that overlook Petco Park. I'll tell you one reason why I personally want to see the Padres win a World Series. Other than the fact that it's fun seeing things that you've never seen before, Petco Park is one of the two or three best stadiums in baseball. I'll say it. In terms of fan experience, in terms of comfort, in terms of where it's located, in terms of convenience, in terms of aesthetics, I'll say it. It's a more comfortable place to watch a game than Fenway Park. It's easier to get to than almost any stadium in baseball. And it's beautiful. And what's the only highlight that anyone remembers from there is Bartolo Colon's home run. They got their butts kicked the two times they played a playoff there. I don't think they've won a playoff game there. In fact, I'm positive they haven't. They're 0-4 in postseason games at Petco Park. 0-3, sorry. And losing all three games to St. Louis. I want to see championship. I want to see memorable games at Petco Park. So that's one I would put that ahead of the Rockies. Now, what's the other one to do for? The other one to do for would be Seattle. The Mariners, despite over the years having some of the best players of their generation play their prime there have yet to get to even Game 7 of the ALCS, let alone the World Series. There's never been a game, ever, where an announcer said, if the Mariners win this, if the Mariners win today, they go to the World Series. That's never been uttered by someone and have that sentence be factual unless you're playing MLB The Show, uh, the video game. They had Ken Griffey Jr.'s entire prime. Most of Alex Rodriguez's entire prime. The entire career of Edgar Martinez. Most of the prime of Randy Johnson. The entire career of Felix Hernandez. The entire prime of Ichiro Suzuki. All those players had their prime. Their effing prime in Seattle. The 1997 Mariners had a Cy Young caliber season from Randy Johnson. You could have argued that he should have won the Cy Young. The MVP season by Ken Griffey Jr. MVP caliber seasons from A-Rod, Edgar Martinez. A big season from Jamie Moyer. Big hits from Jay Buhner. And they couldn't get past the division series. 
so to wipe away that frustration if you're a Mariner fan and you have watched all these superstars they're going to go through the entire career of Felix Hernandez without even playing a postseason game in all probability and to lift that and to have a championship in Seattle for the Mariners to lift that cloud off of that franchise would be gigantic and Seattle's a big city and a wonderful place and everything like that now part of the urgency in Seattle was lifted a little bit when the Seahawks won because that whole element of the last championship won by Seattle were the Supersonics and they took away their team. They ripped the team away from the from the city. That that's part of the the tough fandom of Seattle. That would be big. That would be really big. Washington is interesting because it's interesting because when you think about in 2012, 2014, 2016, and last year, a bounce here, a bounce there in any one of those years, and the Nationals are moving on, and probably win a pennant along the way, and maybe win a World Series along the way, and there's no talk of Strasburg and, and everything like that, not using them in 2012, that just one or two bounces here or there, and the team would be off the schneid completely. And in some ways, you look and say, well, what else is the GM supposed to do? I mean, like, they kept this team together. They brought in Max Scherzer. They, they, you know, made a couple of tough managerial decisions. So, you know, is Epstein really going to be in a position where he could do better than bringing in Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer, and all the wonderful players that have been on the team? I don't know. Now, of those teams that I mentioned, the miracle one that I think would have be really great for his legacy would be San Diego. Uh, A, because as I said, they've never won before. It would lift a burden off the city. And the one critique that people... Now, look, I don't think Epstein should be criticized. But the one critique that you could make is, yeah, he led the Red Sox and he led the Cubs to the World Championship. But the Red Sox are one of the richest big-budget organizations in baseball, and so are the Cubs. To take the San Diego Padres to a World Series title, you are taking a team who, to the north of them is L.A., taking away all their stuff. To the east of them is a desert, to the south of them is Mexico, and to the west of them is the Pacific Ocean. This is the very definition of a small market team. And to take a small market team who by in all metrics and by all accounts should have zero chance to win a championship would be, and to make them be a World Series winner, and to not have it just be like what happened with the Marlins in 97 where you get it all together for once and then you dump them at the first chance. That you have at least one, preferably two, franchise caliber players to go along with the Tony Gwynns and the Trevor Hoffmans as the players who are Hall of Famers who you identify as Padres. That would be necessary too. That's one of the things that made the lost opportunity of 1998 such a, a, a groin kick 
for the Padres because you would have had those two players. And, and I, I bet my my thoughts on Trevor Hoffman heard, but you know what? He's in the Hall of Fame, and obviously he's a great figure in Padres history. And to have Gwynn and Hoffman both be champions on the same Padre team, no matter if the rest of the cast was fluid, would have been amazing. They have to have the equivalent of that. Two players who you doesn't necessarily have to be drafted by the Padres, but they have to be someone who you associate with the Padres and the Padres more than anyone. I mean, Trevor Hoffman was drafted by the Reds, came up with the Marlins. So it's like, you know, he wasn't technically homegrown, but when you think of Trevor Hoffman, you think of San Diego. So you need at least two players who you will associate, you know, preferably 10 years with the team. You associate them with the Padres and have them win a championship. That would cement him as a miracle worker. Now, there's two other teams I want to mention. Two other teams I would have mentioned that would solidify him. And the one team that I think of right now is the team that should be falling over themselves to bring in Theo. Now, one team that should be thinking of it, and it would add to his cachet, certainly to his uh, high-profile cachet as a miracle worker would be the Mets. Yes, another big market team, but they're a big market team that acts like they're a small market team. If he took over the Mets, turned the Mets around and made the Mets a champion, then yeah, I mean, again, it, it spits in the Cubs, Red Sox, big market thing, but it also would have another big vein of fans who travel. I mean, they're Met fans all over the country and have the exposure of New York take the city away from the Yankees. There were a couple of points over the last bunch of years where it looked like the Mets were poised to take the city away from the Yankees when they went to the World Series in 2015, where it looked like they were going to go to the World Series in 2006. And do you know what? Each time, it hasn't happened. And the few times that it has happened, specifically 69 and 86, are the moments of the Mets franchise that will always be measured. And with that in mind, if he could do that, it just gives him, he'll have all of Chicago worshiping him, he'll have all, I mean, at least the Cub fans, not the White Sox fans, uh, all of New England and now New York, or at least the fans in New York would say, oh, this is his championship here. Let me tell you, if Theo Epstein is indeed a Johnny Appleseed of pennants and championships, there is a team that is not in San Diego, Seattle, Colorado, Washington, not the Mets, that Major League Baseball should be lobbying for him to go to and rebuild and turn into a championship caliber team because its current state is not only a mess, but a detriment to the game and a detriment to the foundations of the game and a detriment to the marketing of the game. And that's in Anaheim. Because the Angels were given Mike Trout. Mike Trout was placed in a basket and placed in the river and pushed downstream and he landed in Anaheim or Los Angeles, depending on who you talk to. The Angels have had Mike Trout in the major league since the end of the 2011 season. He was the rookie of the year in 2012. 
So let's just count 2012. 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. I know I could have said, I could have figured this out, but I want to say each of those years for a reason. This is his seventh season. Seventh. He's the best player in baseball. He should be the biggest star in baseball. In those seven years that he's been in the major leagues, the NFL have been able to showcase their superstars in the Super Bowl. Whether it's Peyton Manning, whether it's uh, uh, whether it's Tom Brady, whoever the hell it is. I don't know enough about football to list them all. LeBron James has been in the NBA Finals every single year that Mike Trout has been in the major leagues. And yet, in that period of time, the Angels have played a grand total of three postseason games. Not series, games. They were swept in the division series in 2014 by the Kansas City Royals. That is the extent of Mike Trout's exposure on the national stage in October. And in that period of time, you will note that was 2014, a year that the Cubs were sellers, trading away Jeff Samarja. Remember I mentioned that earlier in this show? The Cubs were so bad then that trading away an all-star caliber starter like Jeff Samarja was in that year was the smart thing to do. And they were able to rebuild to the point now they are a team that not only has won a championship recently, but if you were to bet on who is going to go to the World Series on the National League, the safest bet is probably the Cubs. They have been rebuilt since Mike Trout's lone postseason appearance. A rebuilding that was supervised by Theo Epstein. In that time, this is another damning thing. When he broke into the league, the A's had just done a massive sell-off and looked like they weren't going to contend. I'm making a point here. They not only contended in 2012, but they wound up passing the Angels and the Rangers, the Rangers who were the prohibitive favorites to win the West and probably go to their third straight World Series. Instead, it was the A's who went to the Division Series as the AL West champions and repeated the next year, went to the wild card the year after, in 2014, the same year that Mike Trout was in his lone postseason appearance. They tore the team down in 2015, rebuilt in 2016 and 2017, and here we are in 2018, and the A's are going to, unless they absolutely collapse in the last few months, are not only going to win the wild card and get back to the postseason, but still have a legit chance to catch the Astros and win the division outright. Now think about what I just said there. Since Mike Trout made his debut at the end of the 2011 season, the A's have rebuilt twice! And in that stretch of time, the Angels have not put a team that can consistently make it to the postseason. Hell, they can't consistently play 500 ball. They have the best player in the game. Their sole job is to say, we've been blessed. We shall get this player. 
and Theo Epstein can inherit a team who says, here's what it is. You've got to build a champion and you've got to build it around Mike Trout. You have to deliver a title not to a beleaguered franchise, not to a city starved for a title, but to the game. You have to deliver this to the game of baseball. As we saw in Seattle, there's a borderline tragedy when you have a player who's as great as Ken Griffey Jr. and they never get to play. They never get to play at the highest level. We never had a Ken Griffey Jr. in the World Series highlight. Whether it be good or bad, whether it was a championship or not, we never said, welcome to the World Series, can't wait to see the best player of this generation. We can't let that happen with Mike Trout. And if Mike Trout can win a World Series title, it's not for the Angels, it's for baseball to have your best player on display in that way. And that is the team that he should be rebuilding. And you could do it a short term. Like, all right, we have a short term. We're just going to surround you with cheap, low, you know, budget veterans to plug holes while we build the farm system up. You might catch lightning in a bottle. You might turn things around. But Mike Trout's going to leave via free agency in a couple of years. And there's going to be some teams that are salivating to get him. And if I were Mike Trout, if I saw this organization and said, look it, I've been here for nearly a decade. And it's not been my fault. It's not been his fault that there are no World Series in Anaheim under his watch. But you want to know where I think he should go? And where he should be lobbying? If he says, do you want I've done this in Chicago, which I do now? I know what I can do. I can save the franchise player of baseball right now. That's what I can do. So, Cubs fan with an eight. Of the teams you said to me, San Diego. It would show that it has nothing to do with inheriting a team. It has nothing to do with a budget. Hell, I could turn the Padres into a champion and release the pain for, uh, let's face it, a Padres championship would basically quench all desires for 20 years in San Diego. But what should happen is the Angels, whose front office, I'm sorry, you can make all the high-profile signings of Josh Hamilton and Shohei Otani and Albert Pujols as you want. You've been given Mike Trout. You've been given Mike Trout because you let Mark Teixeira signed with the Yankees and that was their compensation pick and you hit the freaking lottery and you can't even do what the A's did twice in the period of time that he's been a player that's a disgrace Theo, take over the Angels for the purpose of getting Mike Trout on the stage and baseball can put their biggest star in a place where everyone can see him so Cubs here with an eight. Thanks for sending that. Anyone else has any requests? I may start doing this on Sunday again. I haven't figured it out. But go to sullybaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, everywhere. You're the old school. Send me an email at info at sullybaseball.com. Music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Driving up the five and talking about Theo Epstein. This has been Sully Baseball. 
for the, what is this, the ninth day of September uh, 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please, I'm imploring you, please, please, please call me Sullivan.